Last week we began talking about the idea of fasting as we see it in Scripture. And so we're going to continue with that where we left off. Let me remind you before I get into uh, speaking of the lesson, if you didn't get one last week or you've lost it or or whatever, uh, there is a study guide that you can access online at mansvillefbc.com under the streaming tab. Uh, there is a, a button there that you can click to download the the uh, questions and a, a place where you can take notes. And so if you would like to download that, you can go to mansvillefbc.com and uh, click on that to download. Uh, we began last week by explaining uh, the purpose behind the fast and uh, looked at all the different type of fasting that there is in the Scripture. And we began... Uh, or we also saw that fasting is expected, but we began looking at the purposes of fasting. And so we saw last week we started with strengthening prayer, seeking God's guidance, expressing grief, and we stopped with seeking deliverance and protection or protection uh, from the Lord. And we, I challenged you to uh, join me Saturday for a fast um, to seek deliverance from COVID-19. Uh, and if you did so, I, I appreciate you doing that. Uh, if you didn't, that's fine too. Um, but just, uh, just know that's where we ended on. So we're going to pick up with uh, the next reason. And so that next reason would be to express repentance and return to God. To express repentance and return to God. Uh, so fasting for this purpose is similar to fasting for the purpose of grief for sin. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6, it says, When they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out in the Lord's presence. They fasted that day, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the Israelites at Mizpah. In the book of Joel, the prophet of Joel, chapter 2, verse 12, says, Even now, this is the Lord's declaration, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and mourning. And even in the book of Jonah, uh, the people of Nineveh, uh, Jonah came preaching that destruction was coming because of their sin against God, and the people of Nineveh believed the message, and they proclaimed a fast, and they dressed in sackcloth from the greatest to the least, even down to the animals. And so uh, God uh, repented, or God did not uh, send that devastation upon them that had been promised. Uh, because they had fasted and expressed repentance and returned to God. But as repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. And so fasting can represent more than just a grief over our sin, but it's a signal that we're not just grieving our sin. Because you can grieve your sin and not do anything about it. But to actually express that you are uh, going to be obedient to change the way that you feel about your 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 sin. And so you're expressing that you're you're repentant, you, you have grief over your sin, but you're you're repenting of it, meaning you're turning away from it, you're choosing to see it as God sees it. And so you're you're saying, "Hey, God hates this. I'm going to hate it too, and I'm going to turn away from it and I'm going to turn to God." Because we can turn away from sin and turn to other sin. Uh, that's unfortunately the way it goes that, you know, you, you knock down this sin over here and then this sin creeps up. Maybe, maybe you've lusted. And and so you, you 
say, okay, well, I, I'm, I'm no longer lusting. Look at how great I am because I'm not lusting. Guess what you just have done? You've gone to being prideful. You're being prideful and look at what I have done, which is also a sin. So you traded one sin for another. But if you express repentance and return to God and, and turn to him and say, look at what God has done in my life, then that's a different situation. You've actually expressed a repentance and a return to God. And so it signals a commitment to obedience and a commitment to a new direction for your life. And so fasting can be done to express repentance and return to God. Fasting can also be done for the purpose of humbling oneself before the Lord. Humbling oneself before God. When practiced with the right motives, fasting is a physical expression of humility before God. Just as we might kneel or we might even prostrate ourselves in prayer to God, as that reflects humility and as Baptist, our tradition is that when we say, okay, we're going to pray, we, we, we bow our head and maybe even fold our hands together um, to, to show that as a, a humble uh, act. And also that helps us to not be distracted in prayer. Uh, but it, it is a, a, a form, a physical expression of humility before God when we're praying. And in the same way, fasting does the same thing. And so... Uh, wicked, even wicked King Ahab eventually humbled himself before the Lord by means of fasting. Look at 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 27. 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 27. And it says this, When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, he put sackcloth over his body, and fasted. He laid down in sackcloth and walked around subdued. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite. Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? I will not bring disaster during his lifetime because he has humbled himself before me. I will bring disaster on his house during his son's lifetime. And so even King Ahab humbled himself before God with fasting. King David did the same in Psalm chapter 35, verse 13. It says, Yet when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer was genuine. And so, once again, King David, King Ahab, all of these, they humbled themselves before God in prayer and, and fasting. And so, we can fast for that purpose as well. We can also fast to express a concern for the work of God, to express a concern for the work of God. And this is best illustrated in, in a couple of passages. Nehemiah chapter 1, where they said to me, The remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. And so Nehemiah, when, when he hears of the, the great destruction that is on Jerusalem, he, he's expressing this concern for the work of God that this, this place where the temple was, this place that has always been exalted by, by God and, and uh, the Jews, is, has been destroyed. And he's, he's expressing this concern that the work of God has been uh, maybe 
the reputation has been ruined and is in need of being rebuilt. Uh, and I, I could think of, you know, in, in some of our churches that I've been around where you've, you've seen uh, something just horrible happen where, you know, a tornado came through or something and, and uh, took out the building. And, uh, and so you have this situation where you're expressing this concern of what are we going to do to show that God is uh, still honoring this place. And so uh, that's what was going on with Nehemiah. Daniel, on the other hand, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 3 says, So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He turned his attention to the Lord for in fasting to seek what God was trying to tell him. He was in the, in the midst of these, these visions that God was giving him and these dreams that God was giving him about the future. And so he, he set about to fast to determine what the Lord was trying to tell him. And so just as a, a parent might fast and pray out of concern for the work of God in the life of their child, and so Christians may fast and pray because they feel this burden for the work of God on a, on a more broad scale. And so, for example, Christians might feel compelled to fast and to pray because of some uh, some place that has experienced some tragedy, some some disappointment, some apparent defeat. And uh, there's a church here, and not far from us, that uh, about 20 years ago there was a church shooting. One of the, one of the first ones that really uh, became a big deal, uh, where someone came in and and shot up in the church, and so. Uh, we have that as, a, as an example where people might, uh, other Christians would come together to fast and to pray for them that the work of God would be accomplished through such a, a horrible situation. And so that kind of leads into the next one, uh, which is that we fast to minister to the needs of others. We fast to minister to the needs of others. So those who think the spiritual disciplines tend to foster some, some tendencies of introspection or independence should consider what Isaiah 58 says. And I'm going to read all of this, so if you want to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58, uh, it's going to take me a minute to read through this, but uh, this is so, so powerful. Isaiah 58, verse 1. Cry out loudly. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and delight to know my ways like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers." You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fists. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will a fast I choose be like this, a day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose, to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and the homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? 
Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, Here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger-pointing and malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness, and your night will be like noonday. The Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land, and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live. If you keep from desecrating the Sabbath, from doing whatever you want on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, seeking your own pleasure or talking business, then you will delight in the Lord. I will make you ride over the heights of the land and let you enjoy the heritage of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So in, in that passage, Isaiah is speaking of the, the way the people were fasting. That they were fasting and yet they were treating people poorly as they were doing so. They were fasting and, and they were still subjecting one another to, to punishment and to, uh, to inequality and to um, all, these, all these horrible things of acts of unrighteous towards one another. But he's saying, if you fast correctly and you fast and still minister to the needs of others, then your fasting will be done properly. And so in fasting, we consider not just the things that we need, but we consider the way that we minister to the needs of others. Uh, In the most extensive passage in Scripture dealing exclusively with fasting here, God emphasizing fastest, Fasting is for the purpose of meeting the needs of others. <clears throat> and so that is really the, the most important thing based on the, the amount of Scripture that's dedicated there to the purpose of fasting. But probably the one that is most familiar to Christians who have been raised in, in any church and, and have thought about it, uh, this concept of fasting is probably the idea of overcoming temptation in order to dedicate yourself to God. To overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. Uh, if you think of a fast bite in the name of any character, you're going to think of Jesus, and you'll probably think of his lengthy fast uh, that takes place in Matthew chapter 4 and in all the Gospels, uh, except for uh, maybe John. Uh, they record that after Jesus uh, was... Uh, kind of the the beginning of his his ministry he's baptized and then he immediately goes into this time of testing and fasting in Matthew chapter 4 so if you want to turn there and follow along with me Matthew chapter 4 beginning in verse 1 <clears throat> then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. And so that's probably the most familiar passage that we have uh, on fasting. Uh, But sometimes when we struggle with temptation or when we anticipate that we're going to be grappling with some sort of situation where we know we're going to need the extra spiritual strength uh, to overcome it, in times of such exceptional temptation, uh, we have exceptional measures that are required. And so one such exceptional measure is to uh, to have a Christ-like fast where for the purpose of overcoming the temptation and of renewing our commitment to God and our dedication to God. And so there's one further. I hope I got it on here. There it is. To express love and worship to God. To express love and worship to God. So fasting can be a testimony. Even one that's not directed toward others, you know, as Christ told us when we're fasting, not to to deform our faces uh, and make it obvious that we're fasting. But but it's not. It's, so it's not a testimony to others, but a testimony toward ourselves and, and toward our families that you find your greatest pleasure and your greatest enjoyment in life in God. And so it's a way of demonstrating to yourself and to your family that you love God more than you love food, and that seeking Him is more important to you than eating. Jesus is referred to himself as the bread of life in John 6:51. And he's more satisfying than any earthly bread. A, a woman named named Anna expressed her devotion to God in this way, according to Luke chapter 2, verse 37. She was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, served God night and day with fasting and prayers. So for 84 years, this woman had been a widow, and she did not leave the temple as she was serving God by fasting and praying. You know, we've got some widows in our church, and uh, maybe maybe you're one of those, and and you, you feel like maybe I don't have anything to offer anymore. Uh, God's done with me. I, I'm spiritually retired, which is a, a completely unbiblical concept, just so you know. Uh, but... Uh, you still can have a ministry. Look at Anna. She had been a widow for 84 years. So we don't know how long she was married before that. We don't know how old she is. But we do know that she's been a widow 84 years. And she did not leave the temple because she was there praying and fasting. So don't ever feel like your ministry is over because you can always, always pray and fast. Um, But fasting is when we hunger for God. We, we hunger for a, a fresh encounter with God, for God to, to answer a prayer, for God to save someone, for God to work powerfully in our church, for God to guide us or to protect us in a situation more than we hunger for the food that God has given us. This idea of we're seeking God's face and not his hands. So we fast as a way to show that we love and worship God. 
And so there's no doubt that God has often crowned fasting with these extraordinary blessings, but we have to be careful to not develop into this mechanical view of what fasting is. It's not manipulating God to do our bidding by fasting any more than we are manipulating God by prayer or by Bible study. God doesn't need us. God possesses the the divine attribute of aseity, meaning he needs nothing from us. Creation, we, he didn't create us because he needed us. He didn't create us because we feel some, some longing in him. He didn't create us because he didn't have the, the social structure that he needed and he needed someone to talk to. God does not need us, but he created us because he desired to do so. And so, as a response to him, we, we respond with what is worthy of him. His worship and, and love and devotion. Not, and, and we don't pray for God. We don't do our Bible study because God's going to go, look at how great, look at how much he loves me, look at what he's doing for me. And he's, he doesn't come to our church service, whether it's live stream or in person, he doesn't come to our service and, and leave and go, man, that was a great worship service. I, I'm so glad I was here. I got so much out of that. That's not what God's got going on. God doesn't need us. We need God, and we need to express that love and devotion and worship of God because we were created by God to do so. He is creator. We are creation. We are creatures created to express love and worship to God. And so as we're fasting or as we're praying or as we're doing our Bible study or, or as we're doing service or as we're, we're doing whatever it is, whatever spiritual discipline we're talking about, we're not doing it because God needs it. We're doing it because we need it and we do it to express love and worship to God. And so uh, we, we fast in hope that by his grace, God will bless us as we so desire. And, and when our fast is rightly motivated, then we can be sure that God will bless us and that he will do so in a way in his infinite wisdom that he knows best to do. It, it, it may not be what we want. It may not be what we've asked for specifically, but he will respond in the way that he knows best in his infinite wisdom. So whether or not you receive the specific blessing that you've asked for, one thing that we know is for sure. If you knew what God knew, you would give yourself the exact same blessing that he chooses to give to you. Because none of his rewards are worthless. They're all worthy. All good things come from the Father. Okay, so that's that's going to wrap up our f- section on fasting. Uh, let's jump into, uh, this will be just a short um, short slide, but silence and solitude for the purpose of godliness. Silence and solitude for the purpose of godliness. Uh, the discipline of silence is the voluntary and temporary abstention. In other words, getting away from speaking, leaving it alone, abstaining from speaking, so that certain spiritual goals might be sought. And so sometimes silence is observed so that we can do other spiritual disciplines, such as read our Bible or meditate on Scripture or to pray or to journal or or to learn, whatever, so on. And so though there's no outward speaking, 
there may be this intentional uh, internal biblical self-talk or prayer to God. And, and so at other times you may not choose to talk at all. You may just simply choose to focus your, your mind on God and set your mind on things that are above, as Paul writes about in Colossians chapter 3, as a way of resting our soul in the love that God the Father um, displayed to us through Christ the Son. And so solitude is the discipline of voluntarily and temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. Uh, The period of solitude may be just a few minutes, maybe for a few days, uh, but as with silence, solitude may be sought in order to participate without interruption in one of the other spiritual disciplines, or maybe multiple other spiritual disciplines, or maybe just to be alone with God and to think. And I know what if you're a parent, you're, you're with me thinking, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? But the time is coming when you will get that. <laughs> and so just be patient. And maybe you have to intentionally seek that out uh, because we live in a crazy, hectic, busy world. And, and we need to do that. Uh, and so make sure that we're practicing the silence on solitude not just because, man, I need some peace. I need I need a break from these kids. They're driving me crazy. But because we're intentionally going to focus on God and the things of God. And so let's talk about some reasons uh, for sol- silence and solitude. First of all, when we think about silence and solitude, we need to think about uh, them as complementary disciplines to fellowship. Um, basically, we, we're, I'm not advocating that you become a monk, that you go live in the mountains somewhere, that you become a hermit that doesn't speak or interact with anybody. That's not what I'm getting at. It, it's complementary to fellowship because fellowship is necessary for us as believers. And so without fellowship, we become deep, but we become stagnant. Without silence and solitude, we, we become active, but shallow. And so Christ-likeness requires that we have both so that we can both become active and deep. And so they're complementary to fellowship. These two are also often found together, although they can be distinguished as I uh, did so at the beginning of this. Uh, we tend to think of silence and solitude as something that is a pair. We also want to note that it may be uncomfortable for us because of cultural conditioning. Uh, recognize that our culture is one that has taught us, trained us from a young age to be comfortable with noise and with crowds and to not be comfortable with silence and solitude. And I know a lot of people my age and younger uh, are so used to noise that it makes us so uncomfortable to sit in peace and quiet because we're so conditioned to noise that even when we find ourselves alone and able to have that silence and solitude, we have to turn on some music or we have to to do something so that we are not uncomfortable. But the point being, we should be seeking out this silence and solitude. So so don't, you know, in, intentionally seek it out as silence and solitude. Don't don't have music playing, don't have uh, a podcast going, don't don't have anything else going. Just Silence, so that you can focus on on what you're doing. Okay, so let's talk about some of the purposes. So reasons for solitude and uh, <clears throat> and silence. 
Uh, there are many biblical reasons for us to follow and to make a priority of these. And, and the first of those, as you can see there, is following Jesus' example. Uh, the, tip, the, the scripture teaches us that Jesus engaged in periods of silence and solitude frequently. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the to wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. Uh, he was out there for 40 days by himself, uh, uh, except for when the devil showed up, uh, so that he could seek silence and solitude to focus on God and prepare for the ministry that God had given to him uh, to perform here on the earth. Matthew chapter 14, uh, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and well into the night he was there alone. Mark chapter 1, uh, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to his, a deserted place, and there he was praying. Luke chapter 4, verse 42, when it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. And so it, you, you may notice a pattern here. Jesus is going away. He, he's getting that solitude or trying to. Uh, he's looking for silence. But notice that it, it's not always in the morning. And I know for, for um, me as a Baptist, it's been almost conditioned that you, you have to do this in the morning. But notice that Jesus was in, in the wilderness for a long period of time. He was there day and night. Uh, and then... Matthew chapter 14, he was there well into the night, and then Mark, he was there in the morning. And so, I don't I don't think Scripture indicates that the morning is more holy than the night. It's all created by God, and any time that we're spending focused on God in silence and solitude is going to be honorable to Him. And so, point being, take it when you can, and be intentional in seeking it out. Okay, so follow Jesus' example and and seeking out silence and solitude. Another biblical reason is it minimizes distractions in prayer. Uh, just like I was talking about with bowing our head and closing our eyes when we're in public and praying, uh, the same can be said uh, as we're at, at home or, or wherever. It's, it's hard to focus in prayer with other distractions going on. So this is maybe one of the more obvious reasons uh, of getting silence and solitude is that we can better focus our minds on what we're praying. First uh, Kings chapter 19 says, uh, So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And then continuing in verse 11, he said, Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And so once he was able to get away from all the noise and the distractions, then Elijah was able to have this, this mighty encounter with God in, in that quiet time. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me, but instead I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Uh, all these times are they're seeking solitude to see what the Lord has to say. 
And so we do so to minimize distractions for prayer. We also do so to express worship of God without noise or action. For some reason, we associate worship with music. And and that's not... Music is part of worship. That's a way that we worship, but it's not worship itself. We can worship God without any noise or without doing anything. Um, Habakkuk chapter twenty or chapter two verse twenty. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in His presence. Zephaniah one seven. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Indeed, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, and He has consecrated His guests. Zechariah chapter two verse thirteen. Let all people be silent before the Lord, for His holy dwelling He has roused Himself. See, once again, God does not need us to do something. We can worship God simply by being in His presence. You know, um, when when you're dating and you're you're in a dating relationship, and you just want to be with that person and do life with them, that's what what we're talking about here. Just this desire to be with God and just just be with Him and just enjoy His presence. Uh, you know, if you've ever gone on a on a retreat with your your significant other and and you're just um, you know, you maybe wake up in the morning, or maybe earlier than normal, and you just go and you sit out on the on the front porch of this this log cabin and and just enjoy the, the nice weather and the silence, and, and you just enjoy hearing the birds chirping. But you're there together and you're enjoying it together, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's a great thing, and that's what God wants with us too: is just to have this time where we're together and we're just quiet and silent before God. We also seek out silence and solitude to express faith in God. Um, Psalm 62, verse 1, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. And then in verse 5, rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. And then Isaiah chapter thirty. For the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, You will be delivered by returning and resting. Your strength will lie in quiet confidence, but you are not willing. And so all of these verses talk about expressing faith in God. And so we seek out silence and solitude as a way that we can do that. Also with that, we're seeking the salvation of God. Lamentations chapter 3. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of from the Lord. And so uh, that's another thing that we can do as we're seeking our silence and solitude. I'm going to try to wrap these up quickly, so uh, sorry if I'm going really fast. But another reason is to be physically and spiritually restored. And, and you know, sometimes we just need that. We just need to get away to focus and to be restored physically and spiritually. And so Mark chapter 6, verse 31, he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Uh, Sometimes we just need to stop and regain a spiritual perspective. In in Luke chapter 1, there's several uh, verses here where it talks about that uh, the people could not, uh, that that Elizabeth could not conceive. And so uh, they went and they expressed this time of silence and solitude for Zechariah uh, as he was seeking the will of the Lord. And so, as he uh, did not believe God at first, 
His voice was silenced so that he could regain a spiritual perspective. Another is to seek the will of God. Luke 6, uh, during the days he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. And when daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them whom he named the apostles. We also see when when they uh, began to seek for a replacement for um, for Judas, uh, the, the apostles did the same. And then when they sought um, to set, out, set apart deacons, they also did the same. Uh, they spent time... Seeking the will of God. And then the, the final one is to learn to control the tongue. Uh, you've ever hold, heard the saying, silence is golden. Uh, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27 and 28. The one who has knowledge restrains his words, and one who keeps a cool head is a person of understanding. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. Ecclesiastes says, A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to, to speak. James wrote uh, quite a bit on, on on taming the tongue, and so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail there. Um, but uh, I will say verse 26 of chapter 1, If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. So as we're closing this out, um, let me challenge you. Make fasting, make silence, make solitude for the purpose of godliness a priority in your life, uh, it seems like such such a simple thing to do, but it's so countercultural. It's so different than what our culture expects from us. Because fasting, going without eating, uh, for the purpose of, of praying and spending time with God, is crazy to the world. To to spend time just getting silent before God seems so weird to a culture that's used to noise. Even right now, I've got trains going on, people walking around. There's, there's so much noise that it's hard to focus and, and seek what God is doing. Um, but I, I want to close by, by praying, and as we do so, I, I want to pray this uh, from Psalm chapter 62. So if you would, bow with me as we pray. Psalm 62 verse 1 says, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. Lord God, grant us the rest, that we would find rest in you alone, that we would seek out silence and solitude in times of fasting to to come before you, that we would be reminded that our salvation is not from us and it's not of the works that we do and it's not all the busyness of life, but it comes solely from from what you have done for us in sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. God, that you provided atonement and restitution for the the evil that we had committed against you by sending your one and only son to die in our place. But that he was resurrected on the third day so that we could live in victory with you forever. God, he alone, you alone, are our rock. You alone are our salvation. You are our stronghold. God, you will never be shaken. And as we stand in you, we shall not be shaken. God, grant us time. Grant us an intentionality to seek out times of of silence and solitude for you. That we might be sanctified 
we might become more like Christ in that time. God, we thank you, praise you, give you all the honor and glory that is due to you as creator God and as the one who provided for our redemptions when we sinned against you. God, thank you so much for Jesus and his cross. Thank you so much for the resurrection. Thank you so much for the the promise, uh, the, the seal that we have of the promise in the person of the Holy Spirit. I pray that your name would be honored and glorified above all in my life and the lives of these that are watching this. We lift this up to you in the name of Jesus Christ. God the Son, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.